Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode three of series nine of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. In this series of the podcast, we continue to explore the importance of skills, reskilling and continuous learning, as well as the shift to on-demand and personalized learning. In this episode, my guest is Kat Kennedy, who is the Chief Experience Officer of Degreed, where she has overall responsibility for product and technology. Kat was employee number three at Degreed, and since she joined in 2012, the company has enjoyed phenomenal growth and created an entire new category in the HR technology market with its learning experience platform, or LXP. COVID-19 has accentuated the importance of reskilling, upskilling and learning. And since the start of the crisis, as Kat outlines in our discussion, Degreed has hired another 150 people into the firm. In our conversation, Kat and I discuss the challenges in running a fast-growing HR tech company, creating the new LXP category and being a female leader in tech. We talk about why it is crucial to use data and analytics in learning and development. And we look at how learning, careers and mobility are all coming together into one personalised platform, aka the talent marketplace. We also look at what we can learn from organisations who are combining learning, analytics and skills together. And we look into the future at the future direction of the learning and development field. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in learning skills and the technology that supports it. So that's business leaders, CHROs, chief learning officers, and anyone in a people analytics, learning, workforce planning, or HR business partner role. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for series nine of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. This podcast series is sponsored by Degreed, the workforce upskilling platform for one third of Fortune 50 companies. Degreed integrates and curates all the resources people use to learn, including learning management systems and millions of courses, videos, articles, books, and podcasts, using behavioral and data science to analyze everyone's skills and to automatically personalize career development based on their jobs, strengths, and goals. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Kat Kennedy, who is the Chief Experience Officer at Degreed to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Kat, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on here. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and what the role of Chief Experience Officer entails? Yes, of of course. And it's so good to be here as well. um, I'm just happy to be on today. So at Degreed as Chief Experience Officer, I am able to work very closely with our Chief Product Officer, Chief Technology Officer, and our VP of Strategic Technology. So working closely with all of the teams and the leaders that create the platform, uh, both as it is today and also planning for what it will become in the future. Great. And I, I believe you've been at Degree pretty much since the company was founded back in 20, 2012. Yeah. It's probably been yeah. a long and interesting journey, I imagine. Can you <laughs> talk us through a little bit of that journey that you've gone through over the last or nearly eight years now and the challenge that you've faced to introduce what is essentially a new category of a, of a learning experience platform? Yeah, I'm happy to. So yeah, back in 2012, um, I joined the two co-founders, David Blake and Eric Sharp. And what prompted me to join was David's articulation of the world as he would like it to be seen. A world in which every individual is recognized um, not for their credential, but for the skills that they have and the ways in which they have applied those skills. 
So from 2012 to 2013, we were trying to create the mechanism by which that individual could be represented. And that led us to having some very fascinating conversations um, with leaders of business. And they told us the challenge that they had in understanding individuals, the skills that they had, the ways in which they were developing those skills. And those conversations were happening with the backdrop of an explosion of online content. MOOCs were really coming into the picture at a scale that we hadn't seen before. And so the ability to not just recognize individuals for their skills and the ways that they are developing those skills, but to give them access to all of that incredible content that was really coming into the picture at a pace that we hadn't seen before. And so as we attacked that opportunity, we were also having those conversations with the enterprise and they just got very excited um, that they could take advantage of all of that content. They could get a better representation of their people. And so it was a very organic transition into the enterprise. The challenge was in 2014, there was no line item for learning experience platform. Um, it was just working with incredibly innovative individuals inside of fantastic companies, Bank of America, MasterCard, Lithium Motors, a much smaller company, but one of the earliest, were who we were partnering with. And I think the challenge in creating a category is you don't have the line item, but the fun in creating a category is it's just all about listening to the challenges that those companies have and coming up with solutions through partnership to solve for those. And that is both what has created that category now as we've stayed focused on enabling that individual, enabling the enterprise, and we partner very, very closely with those that... Um, you would cite them as clients, but I truly count them as partners um, to continue to address their needs and therefore address the needs of the individuals. And obviously creating a new category is a challenge, not just because of line item, but it's almost an education process, I guess, as well for some of the key players, maybe yes. within the organizations that, that you're working with. You know, what are some of the biggest challenges or misconceptions you face when looking to educate HR leaders? And I say HR because most of the people that listen to the show are, are working in HR that it's much more than aggregation. So the definition of an LXP, great that the category is now created. It is very fluid what people think when they think of an LXP. And so to get everyone to understand that the experience is the core part of the LXP, that's you know where I spend the bulk of my time. And what experience means both for the enterprise and for that individual is far beyond curation and integration of content assets. It's about recognizing and developing skill, mobilizing those individuals to the work that needs to be done. That is, I think, where we have the funnest conversations, but also they're necessary conversations because you know, if we're just checking a box on that line item, it can be seen as curation and nothing else. But I think that is just the bare stakes for what it means to be an LXP. And obviously, you were employee number three. Um, how many employees are, are you up to up to now? Uh, Five seventy, I think, around there. So 
grown quite a bit. <laughs> quite a journey over the last eight years. Obviously, you've been there pretty much since the start. And I know you work very closely with the CEO, Chris McCarthy, to, to essentially run the company. I think you explained to me that he kind of runs the go-to-market part and you're running the kind of technical part, the, you know, the actual the product side. Now, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges involved in, in running a fast-growing HR tech company? It's a new company every six months. I think that's the biggest takeaway that I have had through the past eight years is that you can never rest on, well, we've got it under control now because what the organization needs changes so quickly. As you're scaling at the rate that we are, I think we've added around 150 individuals to the company since COVID began. <laughs> and, you know, the needs of the organization evolve just as the way that you are creating products evolves. And so making sure that you are agile with your internal practices in the same way that we are agile in the way that we deliver product, that has, you know, been a key part of how I believe we've been able to scale successfully. The other thing that I am so grateful that we had in place very early on was operating principles. We are clear from day one when you join Degree, the way in which we make decisions, the reasons why we are making those decisions and what we want the world to look like. So being mission driven has enabled us to scale very well and having those operating principles in place from the earliest of days that we have always been able to rely on. And you've managed, obviously, maintain and adapt your culture, I guess, as, as, you've, as you've grown. Culture is um, not a mission statement in my mind. Culture is about the people, the way in which we communicate with each other, how we make decisions, and allowing that culture to evolve and to grow and not to try to control it, but instead let it be organic, has been a beautiful part about being at Degreed. And, and I think why... As a millennial, I've, I'm still there and I plan to be there for much, much longer is because it's evolving, it's growing, and we all can stay very um, close together, I think, because of that evolution. You know, and also you, you mentioned that since COVID, you've had 150 people. So by my rudimentary mass, you've grown by more than 25% in terms of headcount since since the start of the yeah. crisis, which was, well, about six months ago now. I think we're seeing an explosion in learning, aren't we, um, since the crisis started? The pressure of the moment has accelerated the conversation between HR and the entirety of the business. And the needs that they had were really just knocking on the door. I need to quickly develop my people. I need to redirect where their attention and their energy is. And just the screams for help were coming very loudly. <laughs> and so it no longer was on HR to be trying to win over hearts and minds. Hearts and minds were one. And instead, it becomes about how does everyone partner together to push the ball forward? That is what I have seen is it's accelerated conversations and things are being done through partnership instead of please please look at what will happen if you don't pay attention. And I think the pain of those who weren't able to get the rest of the organization to listen to them now is going to be a lesson that is not easily forgotten. <laughs> and that's great. It is great that we have been able to put individuals at the center of the business through this crisis, you know, the never waste a good crisis moment. That is where I'm coming out of it. Very optimistic. I think this is a change that will last 
for a long, long while because the pain for those who weren't prepared was also very poignant. And and lastly, about you before we sort of de- delve, in a, delve in a bit deeper into some of the sort of L and D stuff. Obviously, there's been a big focus on women in tech. Um, you know, not just in the US, but in in other countries as well. You know, as you, you you've got the, the the chief technology officer, chief products officer, and the VP of strategy and technology coming into you. It, what are some of the challenges or considerations that that you find being a, a prominent woman in in tech? There's often a misconception that I don't understand technical <laughs> technical communication. Uh, my background is in computer science. Um, that's my degree is in. I worked with, as a software developer for you know the earlier phases of my career. And I think just that misconception that we don't fully understand the conversations that are being had, they need to be explained to us when we're also driving the decisioning. You know, that is something that has persisted through every phase of my um, career. What I love about being a woman in technology at this point is I'm, I'm not alone. Um, it has definitely become an area that everyone recognizes is equal and it needs different perspectives and it needs diversity. And I've definitely seen all of those investments and recognition of that pay off. And so knowing that I'm not the only one that looks like me, that thinks like me inside of technology, there's there's so much to say about the safety that comes in that, knowing that I am not the only one. And that I am able to engage more authentically because I have that camaraderie around me. I think I mean it's important as well, isn't it? Just from the sheer fact that not, you know, fifty percent of your users are probably female. So it makes sense to have a nice blend and a mix, you know, in in terms of creating the product. Why I believe in diversity, one, because it's the right thing to do, but two, because it helps the business. Um, Diversity means you have a variety of perspectives at the table. And if perspective is reality, the more that we have, the clearer picture of reality that we have. And if we're going to solve the challenges that the future presents, we have to have a more robust picture of the reality that we exist in. And I believe the only way to get to that is through diversity. It helps us think about the problem more holistically. It also helps us to be more creative as we ideate solutions. Yep, I don't think any of our listeners will disagree with that. So, <laughs> talking about some entrenched and outdated views, you know, what are some of the most deeply in, entrenched and outdated views that towards L and D that you think are holding organisations back? You know, that you've that you've come across or that you see that you see frequently. This is less and less the case as we move forward, but I'll still see it in pockets where learning. When you say learning and you're inside of a company, people think of compliance. They don't think of development. And so getting everyone to equate learning with development and all of the things that they are already doing. DeGreed has done a lot of research, both on our own and in partnership with Harvard Business Publishing, about the ways that people learn. And what's fascinating coming out of that report is they didn't quantify the podcast, the articles, the videos as learning. That was just things that they do to grow. And so how do we make sure that as all of the investment and the hard work that is done inside of L&D and our HR more broadly is recognized as a benefit for the individual and that they see that not as a taskmaster, um, you know, beating them with the stick, but instead 
hey, this is about helping you grow. I am here as an empowerment, as an enablement. Vidya, the CLO of Ericsson, who I'm able to partner with quite closely, you'll hear her say empowerment all of the time. And that is what I hope to see cascade across all organizations, a recognition that learning is about empowerment and about growth. It's not about compliance. And are we starting to see, I think one of the things that's probably held learning and actually quite a lot of other HR functions back has been this silo mentality. Are we seeing learning kind of breaking out of that silo now and, and, and almost moving horizontally across the organization? I think so. And I think it's been accelerated by um, COVID-19 that, you know, the recognition that it is about developing skills so that the business can move forward at the pace that is needed. That is where we have to be growing. We have to be evolving all of the time because the world is evolving. The world is changing and nothing I that in my living memory has accelerated or brought a spotlight to those needs as quickly as COVID-19 did. And so I believe that that is a change that will persist as we move forward because the world is only going to increase in the pace at which change is greeting us. Yeah. And, and the crisis will likely continue for the foreseeable future. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> give us a new world in, in, in many respects. I'm passionate about analytics. I, I think you guys at Degreed are as well. Why is it crucial for organizations to use data and analytics in, in L&D? So when Degreed got started, I had no concept of L&D. You know, uh, we, we joke about this, but like there were really big players in the space that I had no recognition of. But what that naive and a fresh perspective <laughs> brought to the equation is just we were focused on solving the challenges. And I was fascinated because every organization that we talked to were spending so much money on content, on building skills. And yet when I would ask them what their benchmark was, you know, what's the baseline that we are trying to grow, I was met with can't answer that right now. So we're building skills without understanding of supply. What, where are you starting? And demand, where do you need to mobilize them? Building skills was happening in isolation. That is incredibly inefficient because you don't know where you're starting and to what end you are growing them at the scale of the organization. That might be happening in pockets, but I didn't see it happening at large. So to answer your question, why is analytics so important? Well, it helps you know where you are. It helps you see where things are going. And it can also give you insight into activities that are happening beyond your control. Um, as we think about how individuals think when they hear learning, it's about compliance. How do we see the ways that they're trying to develop and grow on their own then? You know, analytics can give us really meaningful context as to the things that are already happening. And if we don't measure, then how do we know if we are successful? So I could go on and on and on and on about why data is so important, you know, and there's the baseline analytics, and then there's the insights that we can start to glean once we have that basic understanding. And yet it is across a lot of the organizations we get to partner with, like we're still at that first phase, helping them to see just the baseline of where they're at 
before we can start to get to the good stuff, which is, I believe, the insights and the predictive analytics that will come from it. And of course, learning the skills that the organization needs and the learning that, that helps the organization close the gap and the individuals within it close that, that gap, perhaps. You need analytics underneath. You need the data to understand what the skills are that you, that you need and the, and the learning and development that supports it. So you talked about some of the organizations that you're working with. You know, what are some of the ways that um, the companies that you're working with are using L&D data analytics effectively? So you're probably thinking of some of your more advanced or, uh, advanced clients here. You, you feel free to name them. If you don't want to name them, that's fine. It's just it's just interesting, I think, for listeners to understand, you know, where can they get to? Where can their organization get to with this? Oh, there's so many incredible ones. Like I truly deem them as partners and build so many amazing things together. So some of my favorite usages of the utilizations <laughs> of the data that are coming out of degree is when they're in combination with other key data sets. And so those that are pulling everything that degree can provide into their BI tools, and they're crossing that with things that are happening across the rest of the business. And using it as an overlay, whether it is the ways that people are engaging with content or how an individual is asserting their capability around a certain skill. And that in combination, if you take a salesperson, you know, we can combine that with information coming out of Salesforce to derive some very exciting insights. And so Degree sees itself as a platform we have so much incredible data that is generated through the engagement that we get from those end users. And I want to share it across the business. Um, put that in your BI tool, cross it against all of the other um, systems that you have. And I, I believe that is where we can start to derive some very powerful insights. So that's one of the favorite things that I can see across so many of our strategic partners. Um, the others are those that are intentionally asking individuals to engage with the platform in a certain way. So they don't bring Degreed in as the one place to go for all of your learning. Instead, they bring Degreed in. This is the platform for your individual progression. And what that does is it gives a different perspective to the data that is generated. It is very intentional. The ways that the individual is talking about themselves, the way that they engage with the platform, and just the level of insight that we can get as it's focused around progression, as it's focused around development, it, it's so powerful. And so that's my favorite favorite is when it's focused on progression and we can also tie into their internal BI tools. And I guess, as you said, the, the power is you, when you can actually start linking at some of the business stuff as well. So you can start linking it to business outcomes in sales, for example. As simple as, you know, we put this team through this course of learning and, you know, within three to six months, we started seeing an uptick in their sales results. Now, tying it down just to the learning is, is difficult, admittedly, but you, you can see it. Make the, a safe assumption it's a, you know, a big, a big element in that. Yeah, another cool insight, and this was um, made public, Unilever, um, as they were talking about the results that they have seen with their investment in learning, what it did for promotion rates, for employee engagement, you know, how they thought about the company and their relationship with it, as well as to how quickly they were able to 
to advance their career. Like we've seen real results and Unilever has published them. Um, Lena, I think, shared it on her Twitter months ago. Uh, but just so impressed with, you know, when we focus on empowering those individuals, the results really do start to speak for themselves as we see people um, mobilizing across the organization. Right. That's a great story. We, we had Lena as a guest on the podcast a year or so ago. And yeah, she's very inspirational, I think, very important okay. in our space. So skills. And we've talked about connecting learning and skills. Skills are changing faster than ever. The half-life of skills is ever diminishing. The roles are emerging and eroding faster than ever. Can we really get a handle on it all? How do how do we how do you help to help organizations tackle this? Yes. So you know, I spoke earlier about that challenge of understanding baseline and also where you're trying to get to. The root of that issue is the way we define work. So both like what is a role? You know, we can have a job code. This is across every client. 99% of them, at some point in our partnership, they will say to me, their job codes are a mess. They'll just say it and it will be in passing. But that is a very important piece of this equation. If I have a project manager title and that's applied across 50 different people and inside of that 50, I actually have like 20 of them doing completely different jobs. (laughs) Well, then how do you know? How does the business know what this individual is starting to do? And yet taxonomies are tied to that. And yet that's not actually what the work is. So DeGreed has taken the approach of let's understand individuals and their skills. We also have information as to what work are they doing. And then we can start to understand, well, what work are they actually doing inside of this job? I believe that over the next five years, we will start to think about work and how we define work very differently. Up to this point, technology hasn't empowered the organization and we haven't had the data set to truly understand it. When degree is in play, we do have that data set. We understand who the individual is the work that they are doing, the work that they aspire to, and all of those mechanisms together can give us very, very powerful insights into what is to come. So not like we talk about skills all of the time, but skills are just an aspect of the work that is being done. So that's what I see as a big opportunity is just kind of throwing out the old ways that we defined what a job is and start to break it up especially as automation comes into the equation, work is changing and what it means to have opportunity and to have a role, I believe we're already behind because I could ask even five of my product managers inside of Degree to define their role and it would look a little bit differently. You recently, I think <laughs> less than a year ago, you acquired Adepto um, and you're now approaching more, you know, much more than just learning with, with the platform. I mean, how do you see projects, jobs, and talent mobility all coming together with learning? You know, what are your thoughts on, on what companies should be thinking about the concept of talent marketplaces? I think I've seen referred to talent marketplaces, opportunity marketplaces, but this sort of place where everything comes together. Yes. So we announced our acquisition of Adepto in December. And the why behind that acquisition really does come back to that comment I would always get. Our job codes are a mess. And yet we're trying to build skills, but to what? What's the why? Where are we trying? Like, 
why does the individual care? Can we expose that why, that demand for their skills to them in the place where they're actively trying to build them? You know, so Degreed is not a learning platform. Degreed is a platform for progress, both for the individual and for the organization. So if it's for progress, well, what are we progressing to? That's where Adepto and now the Degreed Career Mobility product really comes into play. So what we see is those that have career mobility live inside of their Degreed platform, they're putting demand. And what I love to see is it's not just full-time jobs. It's stretch assignments. It's mentorships. It's come shadow and learn what it's like to be inside of this job. And the skills to do that work already exist internally. Um, just last week, as an example, we used Degreed at Degreed. And we had a solutions engineer want to do a V lookup to create this really cool presentation, but he isn't great at Excel. And he was pulling his hair out, Googling, trying to figure out what the answer was. <laughs> and so he put an opportunity. I need someone to teach me how to do a V lookup and put that live on degree. And what's great is once he asserts the skill required to help him with this, like Excel data analysis, we can see inside of the internal teams who has that skill. So they didn't even have to discover the opportunity. He found them because for each opportunity, we can show the individuals that have the skills required. And he found an analyst right at the top of that discover great candidate list. He awarded her the opportunity. <laughs> she was notified. They spent 10 minutes and outcome. He learned how to do the VLOOKUP and he had that in his presentation. How many of those moments happen at scale? You know, so, so many. So can we foster connections inside of the work to be done, both at that small, very tiny project scale, but also on the larger side as well. I, I'm a strong believer that the skills needed to push the business forward exist in the organization in the majority of cases. What we haven't had up to now is the ability to unlock them, to see the individuals that have the knowledge and put them in the right places and apply them to the work. You know, the challenge to accomplishing that, it's more change management than it is technology. It's empowering those organizations to think differently about their people, to think differently about how they expose them to the work. And I feel very lucky that we already get to work with organizations that think that way and are saying, go do find me the right people and let's make sure that we're unlocking knowledge. So, so you mentioned Unilever. I know that's one organization that is doing this well, this kind of marketplace type of thing where it's great for the individual because they can they can link the way they want to develop the career with the skills that they might want to acquire that the company needs more of. And it's great for the company because they can find internal talent to, to, for projects, for stretch assignments, for, for, for mobility options as well moving forward. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, and by all means, please use Unilever as Unilever's example. Do you have any examples of organisations who who have or, or at least close to having a, a handle on all of this and what what can we learn from them they start they start creatively so rather than start with full-time jobs you know degree can integrate with the ATS we can expose those you know 
push more internal engagement to those opportunities, uh, they're not starting there. Where they're starting is connecting people around meaningful work. So I, I don't know if I can cite the name, but they're actually starting with a mentoring program using opportunities. So how do we both enable those who are seeking a mentor to say like, I want to grow in XYZ and also those who are willing to mentor to say, I have these skills. Do you want to connect with me? And so they're tying into projects and needs that the business has already asserted is necessary. And so to aid and change management, let's solve that. And as we solve that, then we can start to expand. So rather than trying to boil the ocean, starting top, you know, top of the funnel with full-time jobs, they start with those projects and those different arcs and push it forward in that regard. Okay. That, that's really helpful. I mean, it's just, don't try and do everything at once. Just pick off something that you know is maybe important to your organization. In that particular organization that you cited there with mentorship, good place to start. Um, in others, it could be something else. It's linking it to the, the business, really, the business needs. And, and Okay. Yeah, find a challenge that already exists and solve that one. And then you'll have your ROI story. How long, has, how long have we waited for ROI? A nice, clean, tight ROI story. And here it is. You know, as we can put people applied to the work and you don't have to spend time recruiting and paying that cost, which is substantial in all regards, you can find those people internally. That's ROI. And we're already seeing beautiful ROI stories with those that have career mobility live. And it's only been live in the platform since February. We're already seeing that traction. Brilliant. Well, the next two questions I'm going to ask you to gaze into your crystal ball. So we'll start yeah. with um, where do you think the, the best, you know, what do you think the best practice and leading examples of using data for skills development and mobility will look like in, in five years? We'll talk about that and then we'll expand it out to the, the, the L&D function afterwards. I think, you know, I, I already referenced this a bit, but when we have the right data sets, we understand the individual how they talk about their skills and capabilities and we see the work that they are doing i believe we will redefine what work looks like and how just how we apply individuals to that i think it will start to modularize and break apart um what that will do in terms of data for how we build skills is also going to be quite exciting. If we understand supply and we understand demand, our ability to more quickly bridge that gap and build skill, because I can see with data density, the fastest path for a product manager to get into sales. I can see that path of what they both undertook in terms of skill development, but also what was the best resources to close that gap? And all of that data in one platform, like Degreed, is what's going to empower us to unlock those insights. So that's what I think the future holds, is just more efficiency in the way that we are building skills and deploying talent. And more, and more use of data and analytics. Yeah, presumably, because again, People analysis has been around for quite a long time in many respects, but it's only really now that it, it seems to be coming into the mainstream and, you know, pretty much every organization, you know, I speak to now has a people analytics team of at least some degree or, an, or another. And as you said, a lot of those teams are working very closely with, with their learning teams to actually 
you know support them with the with the data that they need to to, to really li link everything together um, i was just going to say i think what's unlocking you know that technology has been around and we've made decisions for the business with workforce you know just people analytics how we understand the individual i think what is what is evolving that we are coming to a better understanding of who that individual is if we're just asking them to fill out a profile inside of the hcm we'll have a picture but it's not going to be the full picture uh, but through engagement and watching that individual we can come to a better more real-time understanding and that is data that is so so exciting because we can empower them in incredible ways if we understand them you know we talk about personalization but at the core of personalization is the person and we have to understand that person first and foremost and let's look wider so this is a question we're asking everyone on, on this series you know what will be the role of L&D in 2030? In 2030? Oh. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm asking you to look quite a long way ahead now. I think it's those paths, the guidance, you know, it's creating the conditions by which people can grow. I think that has always been the case and will continue to be so. The manner in which we are creating those conditions is going to be ever evolving. Automation and the ability of the machine to do a lot of the the work we need to accept, but the human portion of creating that condition and always making sure that the guidance is taking the business at large where it wants to go, that is what I believe um, L&D will be doing. And, and the great ones already do that. You know, they're creating the conditions. They're making sure that progression of individuals and the business are in lockstep. The the manner in which they will be empowered to more effectively do that work is going to unlock over the next 10 years. Like technology is really, really picking up in how we understand individuals, how we can apply them. And, oh, I'm excited for what that will do in terms of empowering learning and development. And things like virtual reality or augmented reality are you going to yeah. you're going to see more of that i mean obviously there are some organizations that are kind of putting their, their their toe in as such on this but presumably this is going to take off oh there's so many cool things uh, a lot you know we work with clients across every type of vertical one of them is a mining operation and as they are training those that will go into the mines they're doing that with virtual reality Rather than having to put them on the job and deal with all of the external conditions that come along with it, they can do that training in a location that is safe, that they can control more of the conditions. And you can cascade that across so many verticals. So really, but what AR has shown us is just that technology can empower us to be more efficient. There's going to be so many mechanisms that that emerge over the next decade that help people to develop. I think the responsibility for those that are technologists inside of the enterprise is how do we capture that value in a way that translates back? You know, great that we can do it, but what does it mean and how we can really take advantage of it and quantify it? That's, you know, as I think of Degreed's future, that's the role that I want to serve is helping those organizations to both take advantage of that technology, but quantify it and mobilize it. 
Kat, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. I can't believe our time our time is up already. Um, can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and also find out more about Degreed and, and follow you and Degreed on social media? Yes. So we are at Degreed on Twitter. It's just Degreed.com. Uh, you can find us and learn more about how we can empower both your people and your organization. For myself personally, I am Kat underscore the geek at Twitter. <laughs> uh, but if you reach out to Degree, you can get a hold of me at any point. Um, I'm always happy to connect and to discuss and to talk about the future that we are all creating together. Well, Kat, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks very much and, and enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Simon Brown, Chief Learning Officer at Novartis, about the intrinsic link between curiosity and learning. So don't miss that one. Stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.